thank you for the good news that we have been able to sing about tonight, that we have been able to sing both to you and to the people that you have brought together around us tonight. Your word says to sing hymns and spiritual songs and psalms to encourage one another, and indeed that is, that is what we've been doing. I pray now as you proclaim your word, Lord God, that you would strengthen our hearts, that you would once again remind us of all the good news that your gospel gives to us. In the name of Christ our Lord, I pray. Amen. Well, go ahead and take a seat. Thanks uh, for coming out to Epiphany tonight. Good to... Good to have you here with us. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm kind of proud of you for being willing to come in here on a day as absolutely sensationally gorgeous as it is right now outside. So congrats. Way to go uh, to be here tonight. We are uh, we're continuing on looking at basically we're in what's known as the season of Pentecost. We're looking at the acts of the Holy Spirit and what God does uh, as the Spirit to... Uh, to work in believers' lives. And tonight we're looking at Luke chapter 8, verses 26 through 39. Um, you can follow along with the words. They should be on your screen. They are Luke 8, 26 through 39. It says, Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land... There met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What are you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him, he was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, Legion, for many demons had entered him. And they begged him not to command them to depart into the, into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these, so he gave them permission. Then the demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank onto the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see for what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home, and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much 
Jesus had done for him. Notice, first Jesus says, proclaim how much God has done for you. And then Luke says, so he went and proclaimed how much Jesus had done for him. One of these sneaky little verses that teaches that indeed Jesus is divine. I don't know about, uh, about you, but I would imagine, I think this is true for most people, that you hate the feeling of being trapped. I cannot stand it. I, I don't know if I suffer from anything that's like diagnosably uh, claustrophobia, but I, I do know that I just cannot stand the feeling of being enclosed, being uh, trapped, being in bondage, powerless, like I can't move. Um, I'm not making an excuse here, but I think that may be the reason that when my parents would send me to my room as a little boy, I hated it so much that I would do some fairly crazy things when they would put me in my room. This is true when I was probably four or five years old. My parents would tell me these stories, and I can vaguely remember them. I remember pulling out my toys and throwing them at the door as hard as I could. And if that didn't work to get their attention, then I would pull out my drawers from the chest of drawers and empty out all the clothes. And if that didn't work, I knew one last trick that would get my parents' attention instantly. My bed was against the wall. I would lay on my bed, and I would start kicking the wall as hard as I could, yelling at the top of my lungs, until eventually, indeed, they would burst through the door with all sorts of tough love. And I can remember my parents saying to me, you know, I hope one day you have kids that do this kind of stuff to you. And you know, I have to say, I do. I have had those children. I have those kids. I have had those kids that do not like being trapped. And, and yet the reality for all of us is that naturally we are said to be in bondage and entrapped to sin. In our story tonight that I just read, we, we meet a man uh, who has been trapped for years by the enemy. The, the devil has had him right where he wants him, being possessed by demons. The man cuts himself constantly. He bears his nakedness to all around him, especially in the ancient world, nothing could be a sure sign of depravity more than that. Um, he refused to wear clothes most of the time. He cannot be held by chains. He's able to break chains. And he chooses to live in the tombs among death. And this is the devil's ultimate desire, of course, for people to be entrapped in such a way. We're told by Luke that the man lives in the region of the Gerasenes. The Gerasenes was in the area known as the Decapolis. Decapolis just means ten cities, Deca and uh, Polis. It was an area highly pagan, being that it was mainly Greeks or Gentiles that lived there. And yet there were, there were quite a few Jews that lived there as well. However, we can be certain uh, that the Jews that did live there would have been seen by the Jews, say, in Judea or Jerusalem in the religious centers as being outsiders, as being unclean by the rest of them. Because, frankly, they chose to live in the area they did, or at least that was the way they were judged. It was seen as an unclean area. This was a, an area of the world where Satan had people trapped under darkness and under Roman oppression. 
Uh, a good way to, to think about it in modern terms might be to think about any major city where it's just sort of known for, you know, its debauchery and, you know, the Las Vegas of the time, something like that, but not nearly as appealing. And so that's the background of the place that we're looking at today. And the question that comes up is, can Jesus free a place even like this from the entrapment of the enemy? Can Jesus free a place that seems to be soaked and bathed in all sorts of terrible, terrible actions and terrible behavior and terrible thoughts and terrible consequences? Can Jesus, does he have the power to free this place and these people from the enemy? How does he do it? Well, first of all, Jesus brings freedom by simply going to those who have been entrapped. Listen to verse 22 again. Notice who takes the initiative in going to those entrapped and held under darkness by the enemy. It says this, One day he got into a boat with his disciples and he said to them, Let us go across to the other side of the lake. It was Jesus who took the initiative to go to this place in order for freedom to take place in your life, in order for it to take place in my life, in order for it to take place in this city's life. Jesus is going to be the one who takes the initiative. This is why we celebrate Christmas every year. We call it the incarnation. The enfleshment of God, the holy, pure, totally clean one, comes on a rescue mission for his unholy, impure, and totally unclean creation. As John powerfully proclaims, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. I've heard a, a lot of people say over the years, as they've tried to give me an explanation for why they don't want to go to the church, They'll say something like this. I will go to the church one day, but I've got to clean my life up first. I've got to clean some things up first before I go. This has got to be one of the biggest misconceptions out there that somehow you, you have to already be a good person, whatever that means or however that's Defined that I guess you have to like Thomas Kincaid art and vote Republican and watch only Kirk Cameron movies in order to come to church already. And the truth is just the opposite. Jesus comes right to where you are at, as he did with the Decapolis, and seeks you out. He is seeking people out today in the worst places you can imagine. There's a great new book, I think it's called, I think the name of the book is Dignity by Chris Arnade. It's definitely worth checking out. Um, I just picked it up the other day. I haven't read all of it, but one of the things he says is, you know, he was in finance, in, uh, in living in uh, the financial district, and then the crash happened around 2008, I think it was, and it sort of gave him a whole new perspective and started getting think, thinking about things differently. And so he started taking these long walks all throughout New York City. And eventually he found himself up in some neighborhoods in the Bronx that were really pretty impoverished and really struggling. And of course he came across a lot of drug abuse and he came a, across a lot of prostitution. And yet he has this wonderful line in his book where he says, you know, the, I have to say, I, in Fidei, I was a comfortable westernized atheist and it took being around 
prostitutes and drug addicts to renew my faith. I rediscovered God amongst these people. God is often in the midst of places that we wouldn't want to be ourselves. It's where he goes. It's where he searches because it is there that people are closest to knowing that they are in fact entrapped and that's the first step. It's the first step. See, if you're successful and you've done well, it's really easy to think like, hey, I don't really know what you're talking about. I don't know what this, you know, I feel pretty good. I got the freedom to go anywhere I want, when I want, at any time I want. But the poor and the suffering and the downtrodden, Jesus says to the Pharisees at the time, the religious leaders, you know, they're, they're closer to the kingdom of God than, than you are. The tax collectors and the prostitutes, the people that have got their messy, they're, they're closer. He's searching there. That's where he goes. The Christian God is a God who refuses to walk through life without getting his hands dirty. Christian Wyman is a world-class poet, editor, and editor of Poetry Magazine. A while back, he was diagnosed with a, a rare form of, of cancer. He is also a, a Christian, and a little while ago, the New York Times did an interview with him in which they asked, why is it important for you to be a Christian, specifically, rather than an adherent uh, of some other faith or various faiths? And this was an answer, quote, It wasn't important to me until I reached a crisis in my life. I floated along like so many modern people, alert to a sense of otherness in some of my experiences, but unwilling to give it a name. I'm a, I'm a Christian because it's the language I know. I'm a Christian because the doctrine of the incarnation expresses a truth that I intuit with every cell of my being. And listen to this. He says, I am a Christian because a God that does not suffer with us a God that is not suffering with us even right now is either hopelessly remote or mercilessly cruel. He says, I am a Christian because of that moment on the cross when Jesus, drinking the very dregs of human bitterness, cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So Jesus' first method of bringing freedom to you is by Coming to you where you're at, no matter which pit, which valley, no matter where it is, he goes. Secondly, he brings freedom by reigning and ruling over the devil. Here's what I mean. As powerful and evil as this devil character is in the New Testament, in Scripture, uh, we sometimes give him way too much credit. Our movies and media, I think, are responsible for the inflated view of the devil we have, and you know, I think about the movie The Exorcist. Just by show of hands, how many of you have ever seen that movie, The Exorcist? It's okay, you don't have to be ashamed. Uh, the devil is so powerful in that movie that by the end, the, the priest who is trying to save the girl who's possessed jumps out of a window committing suicide because he is taken over by the devil himself. But but the picture that the Word of God actually gives us of the devil's power is that it's much more limited than this. As a matter of fact, I mean, when you look at the story we have before us today, um, the first things that, that happens as Jesus steps off the boat is the demon-possessed man comes running up to him as if coming into contact with his king, saying, when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him. 
and said with a loud voice, What have you to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I beg you, do not torment me. Here's the point. Jesus even rules over that world. There's not some sphere of this that he's not ruling. So Jesus asks the devil's name, and without hesitation, the, the, the demon says uh, that his name is Legion. Now, now this is interesting. Because a legion in Roman times was a segment of the military um, that, that would usually rule over an area like the Decapolis where they were at. There were 6,000 men in a typical legion of soldiers, and they were known for being brutal and oppressing the people that ruled over them. The picture is clear. This man is being held down by a foreign oppressor, an army of foreign oppressors. He is seized by them and dragged off to the place of death. He is trapped. And yet, the demons must always submit to Jesus. So they beg him not to throw them into the abyss before the time, as Mark tells us, the appointed time in the end when Satan and his demons are thrown into eternal fire forever and ever. And so what happens with a word? Jesus casts them into a herd of pigs and the most unclean animal around, of course, in Jewish life. And they go toppling over a cliff in the water and die. The point is, is that Jesus brings freedom because he rules over every segment of the world. The, the principalities and powers ultimately submit to him. And this brings us freedom. As the Apostle John writes, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Thirdly, Jesus brings freedom by making us into new creations. 2 Corinthians 5 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. Consider the man in our story. He's been trapped, held down, completely isolated, naked so that all can see his shame, cuts himself, lives among the dead. And yet by the power of his word, Jesus releases this man from his bondage instantly. He's a new creation. He's a new person. Then people went out to see what had happened and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed in his right mind. I love those words. That's where he belongs. He's sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. By the power of his word, Jesus brings a person now to his feet where all people belong. He restores his mind. As he restores your mind and he gives us every eyes to see how the world truly is in a way that we never imagined. And he clothes the man so that he is no longer ashamed but covered. And he does the same thing for you. When Jesus makes a new creation out of the old dying man, when he frees a person who is trapped, he clothes them in his robes of righteousness so that the shame can never be seen again before the eyes of God or before the eyes of man. As Galatians 3 says, For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, have been clothed in Christ. It's as if because of that, Jesus, when he looks at you, sees you as completely and utterly perfect. And thus you are a new creation. 
I think maybe my favorite movie, it's in the top three for sure, but maybe my favorite movie is The Shawshank Redemption. Uh, I saw that when it was in the theaters, so that tells you how old I am. But, um, and then I've watched it 438 times on TNT ever since then. It's one of those movies that if I'm switching through the channels and it's on, I'm like, well, that's what I'm doing now. Um, <laughs> but I love the end. I love it when Andy Dufresne tunnels through the sewer to escape for miles, hours, and hours before finally getting free. I love the picture. He emerges in the rain from the sewer pipes and the first things he does after escaping the entrapment of the prison is he takes off this, these old prison clothes. He is now free from the trap he had been in for so long and the first thing that happens in the very next scene we see him, he's wearing a suit and walking into a bank with a completely different identity. That's what Jesus does for this demon-possessed man. He's a new creation now. He's not who he was. And then fourthly, Jesus brings freedom by sending us out with a new mission. So he makes us into new creations, but he doesn't just do it for the purpose of making us into new creations. I mean, he doesn't, he does forgive all of your sins and he does declare you completely and totally righteous in his sight, but then he's got a new mission for you. It's interesting, you would think that the people in this area who saw this miraculous deliverance from Jesus would be amazed and that they would seek to follow him themselves. I mean, it just, that's what I would expect, but that is not at all what happens. After this herd of pigs goes toppling over, Mark tells us it was about 2,000 pigs run off the cliff into a lake. The people who see it go running away to tell the townspeople, but they don't go tell the people how amazing the miracle was. They go to tell them that this major source of revenue and income is gone. And it's all due to this Messiah figure named Jesus. And so instead of being excited, they ask him to leave. You see, they are still trapped. They are still under someone else's control. Jesus said it is impossible to worship God and, and money. You cannot have both of them as your master. And in this case, it appears at this point, their choice is the prophet. It's not surprising. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians 4, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. These people can only see their temporary existence being affected, and, and that's enough for them to tell Jesus, like, hit the road, out of town. But he is not done. Jesus doesn't give up that easily. They might ask him to hit the road, but he has a plan to reach them. In fact, he will use the very man who has been freed from the demon possession 
to bring the message of rescue to these people. Listen to what Luke writes. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with Jesus. But Jesus sent him away saying, what did he tell the man to do? Quote, return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. That's how Jesus brings freedom to the rest of the world entrapped. He calls those who have been freed from their entrapment to tell others what Jesus can do for them. We live in this great freedom that God has given us. And we have the opportunity to tell our friends and neighbors that it's there for the taking for them too. <clears throat> Jesus gives us the freedom of a mission. And so we read, And the man went away proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. Let me wrap this up with one little interesting fact. Um, one little thing I found out while I was studying this passage. At this point in this story, the only person in this large area known as the Decapolis that is a Christian, that is a follower of Jesus, is this one man who had such a horrific life before him. Who had been so ashamed who had been so entrapped. But Jesus gives him the call to go share with others what Jesus had done for him. And the next thing we know, he's going out and he's telling everyone, right? That's what we just read. And then we don't hear anything else about, really anything about the Decapolis or this man in the Gospels. But history tells us something interesting. Archaeologists have discovered that that area that Jesus was in and have uncovered major finds. Some Greek columns, some archways made for famous kings and queens and various other artifacts have been found. Yes, yes, yes. But the most significant find, at least in my opinion, they found over a dozen churches. Archaeologists actually estimate that this area was one of the most heavily populated Christian areas in all of the Middle East in the first century. It all started with one guy freed by the power of Jesus Christ just going out and telling other people, I've been freed by Jesus and he can do it for you too. But what about, what about, what about I don't know, but I've been, you remember, do, do you remember what I was like? Am I the same person today? No. Well then just come, come and see. From this one guy God is able to reach the people in the furthest places away from him. And he will use you, he will use us in the same way by simply just sharing that good news with our friends and neighbors. It'll work. He will. Because I am absolutely convinced that he's just as passionate about reaching people today as he was 2,000 years ago. So with that, let's pray. Father, I thank you for the opportunity to live in freedom. 
thank you that we are we are not bound. We are not captive to um, we are not captive to what Satan says. We are captive to what your word says about us. And your word says that we are new creations. No matter what our experience is, no matter what our struggles are right now, and we're all walking in with them, your word tells us that we are indeed free. So help us enjoy the freedom and tell others about it. I ask in Jesus' name.